0: Please turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 and find verse 17, where we'll focus our attention this morning as we continue in worshiping our Savior together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. As you may know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. When I talk with people in the world who struggle with and battle things like depression and fight against anxiety and are deeply wounded by things of the past, there's often a sentiment that comes out of them that is something like this. None of this really matters. My life doesn't really matter. I don't really matter. Maybe it's their identity, their The fact that they're a teacher, it just doesn't matter. I'm just a farmer. I'm just a mom. And they feel like things don't really matter. There's a prevailing lack of dignity and a prevailing lack of a felt purpose in people's normal humanity. They just don't connect who they are with anything that's of eternal value. Or at times the opposite is true for many of the same reasons. There's a sense of pride that declares, like, really nothing else matters but me. I'm, in fact, the only thing that matters, and everything should matter because of me. But both of these extremes, that my life has no purpose on the one side, and my life's the only thing that matters on the other side, everything is created around me for my existence. Both of those extremes, those of those uh, prevalent ideas, cause much of the struggle that we see in our society, that our society has identified. But unfortunately has no real hope to help. And what's happened in our society at large has also filtered into and overwhelmed much of the church. So what do we do? Where do we pursue a solution for the difficulties that we face in this life? What's the answer? Is it therapy? Is it drugs? Is it prescription drugs? Is it new circumstances? Is it yoga? Maybe we just need a change if we just move to a different city. Or maybe we need a new church, new people in our lives, a new neighborhood. I mean, look around you. This, this world is in large part floundering. Floundering. But I'm not concerned with the world floundering. That's what the Bible says the world will do. I'm concerned with the church floundering. We shouldn't. Imagine the whole COVID lockdown thing. That was like a a steroid shot of crazy uh, to the whole world. I mean, it was just a mess. And Christians were right there in the thick of the mess with no solutions. No help. So where do you go for answers? Where do you go when you struggle to find purpose? Where do you find real, lasting, eternal purpose? When you need satisfaction in this life and meaning in this life and dignity in this life, where do you find it? What do you find it in? Is it something that you need or is it something that you have? Friend, God's truth holds out one answer for you. And it's Jesus. And so today, as I preach a message titled A Sermon About Whatever, notice how God gives dignity and purpose and meaning to every single area of all of our life. Do you ever wonder, am I really making a difference? Does what I do, does God even care about it? Is God really concerned with how I feel? Does God really need me? Does anybody need me? Does my life matter? Well, friend, the Bible answers these questions. And today our verse will help you. It'll give you the priorities and benefits of a life lived in Christ and for Christ. And it will help you understand how your life can matter eternally. So stand with me and read with me Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 15 and focus on verse 17. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, after considering our Savior's death, Because of our sin. Will you help us understand how we can live this life in light of your work? Help us understand how we can live this life in a way that makes much of our Savior. In a way that really, truly, fully fulfills who you've called us to be. In a way that gives us the dignity that you deserve as our creator for us to live out. Father, help us to see how wonderful and beautiful this life is designed by you to be. But we struggle. We struggle to focus. We struggle to comprehend. So we ask for your help. Help us to take these truths and not remember them, but to live by them, that we might live for you and find in you all that we could ever need. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I well, thank you, you can be seated. A sermon about whatever, and whatever you do, Paul says, and whatever you do, what you'll find in this little powerhouse verse is very simple. Paul takes a look at the totality of our life, and he says, this is why everything in your life, all of it, as in Every part of it, every little bit, every big chunk should matter. We'll see four reasons. Everything in your life matters. Notice in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it should begin with a conjunction and... Paul is connecting the truth of chapter 3 and the point of the letter to the Colossians to what he's about to say in verse 17. This all-encompassing, extensive and comprehensive instruction, every nuance of all of our lives is really connected to what he's been talking about. Remember, Paul's written this masterful letter to the Colossians to address a myriad of issues in their church that Epaphras brought to him. And, and he says... Uh, Each one individually, they matter, but I'm not going to detail the nuance of everything particularly. Instead, I'm going to give you the, the only panacea that Christianity has to offer, and that's one thing. Jesus Christ reigning supreme over everything. That's all you get. There's no other single answer in Christianity other than Christ reigning and ruling over all. And Paul says... So when Christ rules and reigns over all, then this is how we live. When Christ is truly over everything, and this is how we respond. So friend, if your life is going to be satisfying and full and wonderful and fulfilling and completing, then first you have to make sure that you are, in fact, truly, as Paul's teaching the Colossians in this letter, truly God's child. So number one, if you're going to have a life that that matters, it's It's got to be rooted in the reality and your identity that you are, in fact, God's child. Your life matters specifically. Your dignity is exalted externally because of what Christ has done. So understand, friend, the life of a Christian does not matter because we want it to. The life of a Christian does not matter because of how good we do certain things. The life of a Christian doesn't matter because we make it matter. The life of a Christian matters because of what God has done and how He has worked on our behalf. Remember back towards the beginning of the letter, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's why our life matters because of what God has done to change us from those who were His enemies to now those who are His children. Our life matters for lots of reasons. Here's a few. Our life matters because we've been redeemed by God's work. That's Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Our life matters because we've been adopted into God's family. No longer enemies, no longer against God an enmity with God, but children of God. That's Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. By his grace with him forever. Your life matters because he reconciled you to himself. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 18, your life matters because Jesus is consuming himself now as the king of the universe with interceding for you. That's Romans eight thirty four. Your life matters because God says he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Your life matters because God purchased you out of spiritual death into life with the price that you could never, never fathom and never pay. The life of his own perfect son, his own son that we already celebrated, shed his lifeblood to pay for my sin. No matter how small or insignificant I view my sin, God views it as treason. Worthy of death. And so he says, only a perfect sacrifice. Only my son could satisfy what you have racked up in the debt category. And you can't pay it because you're bankrupt, so, so I'll pay it. So why does your life matter? Because God has done that for you. And what's the result? Forgiveness for me. Grace to me. Mercy upon me. Goodness in me. Glory awaiting me. And what did I do? I said, praise the Lord. I turned from my sin and God enabled me to, by faith, believe in what he has done. The grace that he's given me resulted in life and salvation. Friends, when you are his, your life matters. And you say, well, okay, I'm hold on a second about people who don't want to be his and don't claim to be his. Does that mean that their life doesn't matter? God has proven how much their life matters. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for them in their sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much their life matters. But when you are his, your life matters in a unique and particular way in Colossians chapter three, verse 17 defines it for us. So all of this to make sure that we are in fact his and when we are his and what? Well, Colossians chapter three, look at verse 15. When you see uh, when, the, when, when you are God's, the peace of Christ rules in your heart, verse 16, and the word of Christ dwells in you richly. And then all of your everything, every aspect of all your life matters because it's all done in the name of the Lord. With thanksgiving to the Father through Him. But it has to start with step one Are you His? You must make sure you are His. Remember the biography of every Christian, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It's our desperate plight in sin, under sin, dying because of sin. And then what happens? But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you were saved. And then Paul says, just in case you missed it, he'll repeat himself in chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And what's the result? Well, finally, we get to where most people want to start. Finally, we get to, for we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everyone wants to start with good works, but God begins in the heart. The result is a life lived for him. So friend, if you want a life to matter, if you want your life to matter, make sure you're his. And when you're his, then your life cannot not matter. I know the English teachers just got the willies, you know, they got like the goosebumps, like it cannot not matter. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's going to have to matter if you're in Christ, your life will always matter. So don't misunderstand Colossians 3 verse 17 is not a do better, work harder, try more kind of a verse. It is a look what God has done and look at the result. If you do the right thing, God will love you. No. No. You kidding me? That's why God did love you, because you couldn't do the right thing. This verse, if you are his, if we are his, then we'll take everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we feel, every thought, emotion, everything that composes us, we will take it and we will make it much, make much of the grace of God for the glory of God all through thanksgiving to God through his son. Why? Because we understand what he's done, because we know we are his. This verse is really our response to God's love, our response to his grace and mercy, the response to his kindness and his salvation. So why does everything in your life matter? Because you're his, you're God's. And second, if you want to ensure everything in your life matters, you want to know how to make everything in your life matter eternally. Well, second, because you're his, all that you say, think, feel, and do is for him. Paul says, and because you're his, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our entire existence is here in view by Paul. He casts his net over our entire life, catching every single thought feeling, word, deed, emotion, affection, anything you want to talk about that is animated from you, within you, or out of you, it's all right here in these words, Paul says, and it's all to be doing one thing, making much of Christ. Nothing escapes whatever, nothing escapes anything. This is the most strategic and calculated and precise way to be ambiguous and broad and all-encompassing possible. Word or deed, it's a way to include everything. It's the entirety of everything that your life is. Once you are His, everything you say, think, feel, or do is for Him. We'll focus on everything first. All that you do. But conversely, if you're not His, then nothing you say, think, feel, and do is for Him. Because He has offered you His Son, and you have rejected him. Once you're in Christ, though, everything is for him. We do everything for him, particularly we do everything for him in faith. We see this truth that all we do is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, but it's a hard truth to obey. It's a hard truth to believe. But Romans chapter 14, verse 23 reminds us how essential it is that all that we do is to be done by faith. In him, for whatever, Romans 14, 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you want to glorify God, if you want to obey God, if you want to make much of God, you have to do it by faith. This is a daily battle, waging war against the horizontal, waging war against the things that we see so that we can make much of God in heaven. Hebrews 11, 6, and without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him, Hebrews eleven six. We have to live by faith. We have to live by faith. We have to be dependent on faith. God has not saved us to move us out on our own. You know, one of the biggest problems in today's society, in my opinion, is that we have a lot of old boys running around in this world. And they haven't ever made the transition to young men. You know, 18 shows up. Instead of kicking them out of the house, the parents keep doing. You know, apparently my wife thinks 13 is too early to kick our oldest out of the house. (laughs) You better be listening. So it's coming for you. No, but but that's a problem, you know, in society. But get this. you, You never grow up in God to where you don't need to be dependent on him. You are always going to be his child. You will always be dependent on him. You never grow up and move out in Christianity. You are always linked with him, getting from him everything you need by faith, always, forever. He says, you consider your life, you believe, you faith, that all that you do is for him. Paul commands us here to bring everything that we do, whatever we do, all that we do, everything we think, all that we say, all of it comes here, and it's to God, or it's to the Father through Christ. And this is hard, isn't it? We, we, have, we have this false dichotomy. I don't know where, where it showed up. Maybe the Middle Ages. Would, I don't know. But there's this false dichotomy that there's two kinds of work in this life, sacred and secular, two kinds of things you do, sacred or secular. Find that in the Bible. Go ahead not there. Why? Because of verses like this that say everything we do, all of it is to be for God, is to be making much of him. When we study Paul's thoughts on work in a few weeks, you'll see uh, really there's no division in this life. Doesn't matter if you work in the secular world, so to speak, you serve the sacred all the time with everything that you do. Every word and every act is always for him our corporate worship is it for God well that's the easy one we're like yeah that's for individual worship is it for God yeah that's pretty easy we got that but then all of a sudden we go to work on Monday and we consider that God's taking a holiday it's always all for him think about this way everything is under the lordship of Christ everything is under his lordship And if everything is under his lordship, then all that you say, think, do, feel is under his lordship as well. Just a simple argument from the greater to the lesser. Remember, Colossians is a letter about Christ over all things. Colossians chapter one, who was Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created, visible and invisible. Everything was created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So everything that exists is under his lordship, but all of a sudden somehow we walk through those beautiful double aluminum storefront doors and we think, I'm on my own? No. Everything that you do, everything that you think, all that you feel, everything is under the lordship of Christ. To argue from the greater to the lesser, imagine if the stars are flipped on like we flip on a light switch by God. If the planets are launched into orbit like we launch a t-shirt out of a cannon at a football game by God. If the lilies are gilded by Christ like our kids with watercolors. If the oceans are held in God's hands like we hold water on a hot day ready to splash our face, if that's who God is, if he's that massive and able to be over all of these things, isn't he able and desirous to be over even the simple small things of your life? All of a sudden you snuck away into part of the kingdom that God isn't aware of? Are you kidding me? This is Paul's point that everything is done for God. The breadth of Paul's words, it's captivating. Whatever, whatever you do, do what like What's a that's a junk verb do. What is to do? That's boring. Unless Paul is saying everything, all of it, everything in word or deed, what falls outside your life in word or deed? In Paul's mind, nothing. But I know in some of your minds, stuff falls outside of word or deed. But Paul wouldn't let you escape, so I'm not going to let you escape. There is nothing that falls outside of your words or your deeds. Paul is using all-encompassing language here. There are no dead spots in your life where Christ's lordship doesn't have coverage. Like He is not like AT&T. He is everywhere. His map is completely covered in. Imagine Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but by the renewal of your mind, by testing that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and perfectable. What is that word? Perfect and acceptable. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Christians are called to present our bodies. What's that? That's the doing. We're called to renew our minds. What's that? That's the thinking. Again, Paul's trying to take the whole scope of our life and say it's all about worship to God. There is no part of you, nor any part of your life, that is not his. None of it. Worship takes all of you. If you are his, you are completely his. God did not buy shares in you when he paid for your life with his son. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 would agree, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And you say, well, that's talking about body. That's talking about what we do, but not talking about what I think. Really? Where are our affections supposed to be? There is only one worthy of our affections, and he reigns supreme over all things. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 reminds us that Christ is worthy of our praise, and only Christ is worthy of our praise. Revelation four eleven: worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We're called to do. We're called to speak. For Christ, And we're called to obey with our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions. Emotions, man, they just get like a free pass nowadays. You just do whatever you want with your emotions. You can worry all you want. Like, my mom is a worry wart, so I can worry. No, you can't. You think all of a sudden your worry life is outside of Jesus' lordship? Everything you do is to make much of Christ. Everything in our life is either an opportunity for obedience... And worship, bringing ourselves under compliance and under the view of his lordship or rebellion. Doing our own thing in our own way, thinking we're going to, like, outsmart God. Just consider emotions for a moment, since they get such a free pass in our culture. Emotions, what are they? You know, all they are is gauges. I have a Jeep, rarely runs. But when it does run, the gauges occasionally work, and they tell me what's going on with it. That's emotions, but your emotions always work. And they tell you something. They tell you what you think. They tell you what you believe to be true. Emotions are just reflections. They're reflections of who we are on the inside in the moment that they present themselves. Emotions betray, for better or worse, our priorities. They, they tell us what we think to be true and how we value truth and what we think about that truth and how we think about God and how we value God. They're, they're telling us really who we are. If these things are true, that we say we believe, then they will affect our emotions. If we say the Bible is the inspired word of God and has the ability and the authority to command our lives to live certain ways, then we feel certain things about our emotions and we seek to bring them in line or or we don't. And we say, well, it's just my circumstances. I can't help it. Okay. So what Paul meant by everything and whatever, and all of your life was really, except for this person, because they can do whatever they want in a certain area of their life. Of course not. So we all seek to make everything that we think, say, feel, and do come under the lordship of Christ, to follow him and make much of him. You say, wow, that's, I don't know about that. That seems, seems like a lot. Seems like you're kind of not giving me a lot of wiggle room to be my own person do my own thing maybe have some me time thrown in here or there okay when you signed up for Christianity were you listening to Jesus because this is what Jesus says anybody can be anybody can follow me anybody all of you are welcome come on in but if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me Jesus says I want all of you But I only take the ones of you who follow only and just me, the ones who deny themselves, the ones who pick up their cross and the ones who follow me. So anybody can be saved. But you deny yourself. You submit completely to him. You surrender all of you only to him and you live for him. What's that mean? It means that you're all his and that all you say, think, feel and do is just him. But don't get it sideways. He's not asking you to give up anything good. Mark chapter 8, verse 35 and 6, for whoever would save his life will lose it. You want to hang on to your life? It's not worth it because you'll lose it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Come to Jesus. Find what's best. Take all he has to offer and you'll be fully, finally, completely satisfied. Try to keep your life and you'll lose it. Try to live your life for yourself, you can't. And that, friends, is the profundity of the Christian life. We give up everything and we get more. We get Jesus. We don't gain a religion. We don't gain some fancy cultic practices with bells and smells and ropes and stuff. We gain a relationship with Christ that brings purpose, eternal purpose to everything that you say Think, feel and do. Do you notice that whenever people decide to, to live their driving or to live their life as their driving purpose, having it to make themselves fulfilled and happy and satisfied, do you know what happens to them? They will be the most heartbroken, unsatisfied, sad, sorrow-filled people that you meet. Because God has not designed us to live for ourselves, to be filled with ourselves. He's designed us and created us to live for him, to be filled with him. And when we don't follow his plan, we won't like the results. Our life becomes season of regret followed by season of grief if all we live for is ourselves, But when we live for him to do everything for him, what do you think you'll find? Satisfaction. Completely and fully. One of the things I love about the ambiguity of Paul in this verse is that there is no such thing as a small thing when you are God's child. Take it from a parent, me, I'm a a parent, I got five of them, and I have a three-year-old who's the cutest thing since three-year-olds were invented, and he puts together like four and five-word sentences now, and I'm thinking like, how do we get a hold of the Pulitzer Prize people? Because this is impressive. This is amazing. Like this is, this is, I mean, but why do I love it? Not not because of the syntax and the grammar, not because of the foreshadowing. I love it because he's mine. Why does God love what you do? Are you that impressive? Here's the thing. You don't have to be. He loves you no matter what you do. And the big things or the small things because he paid the ultimate price for you to make you his. You don't have to be the next Spurgeon. In fact, I'm just going to guess you're not the next Spurgeon. Otherwise, you'd be up here. You don't have to do something amazing. God has done what's amazing so he can shower his love on you. The glory of this whatever is that the mundane becomes majestic in God's eyes. Imagine what this means for you. It means for some of you that you don't ever change a diaper again. You don't change a diaper. Instead, you care for a little soul that's entrusted to you by the God of the universe, giving you a little soul in a helpless state because he trusts you to do what that little soul needs. It doesn't matter how well you change if you use one or two wipes. I mean, I can get everything off with one wipe. My wife's like seven wipes later. I feel like it's a good stewardship to use one life, but one wipe. But anyway. That's not the point. It's it's the how you're worshiping God, whatever you do. That's the point, whatever you do. When you obey and you do what God has for you, he is pleased with you. I think as Christians, we too often value things. We, We too often think God values things the way we value things. So we look at something and think, oh, it's a big, amazing thing. Surely God thinks it's a big, amazing thing. We look at something small or anonymous and we think, well, it's a small thing. Surely God doesn't value it that much. Do you remember the widow's mite? By definition, that's a tiny little thing. And what was it? It was a beautiful glory to God that she did. How about Mary from Bethany, Mark chapter 14? Remember, she knew Jesus was going to die and she takes this costly oil She dumps it on his feet that he was going to get dirty in a matter of hours, but she did it out of worship to him. The religious around her were like, ah, no dice. Why are you doing that? You're wasting money. What's Jesus say? Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done what she could. Christian, when we do for the glory of God, he looks at that as if we have done what we could, what would be better than to hear from our Savior, you have done what you could. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be some amazing things that just needs to be what he's put in front of you to do. The widows might marry with her oil. Both women did what they did, thought what they thought, felt what they felt, all for who? For him. Why? Because they were worshiping him. That's worship. Doesn't have to be big and flashy, Doesn't have to be expensive and great. Oftentimes, your worship and my worship probably is best when it's anonymous and silent, when it's between us and the Lord. Because everything you do, all you say, everything you think, all that you feel, all of it should be, must be, can be for Him. Third, everything in your life matters because it is for Him. It's for Him. It's all, Paul says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. All of who you are is to be done for him. So, is this true? Ask yourself of your life. Are there areas of your life that are for you and not him? Maybe it's something like finances. Well, God can have this much, but the rest is for me. Maybe it's something like time. Time. God can have my morning one day a week, my evening one day a week, and then I got to have the rest because I got stuff to do. Maybe it's something like relationships. Well, I can have one person that's draining and the rest have to be fulfilling because, really? If it's do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, does that make it different? You bet it makes it different. Be careful that what you do is to be for. Him, everything we say, think, feel, and do makes a statement about who God is or is not to us. How do we really view God? Well, don't look at your attendance record. Look at how you do things for Him. What do you do for Him? Is it everything in life, or are you just kind of existing and then occasionally intersecting with the sacred? Is our life Is our life our way more important than our life for him? What gives in your life? You're called to live for him, to live everything for him. You're called to to make everything about him, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What's that look like? Remember those guys in 3 John? They're friends of John, sent out by John the apostle, and they show up at Gaius' church, and John's like, hey, take care of these guys. What do we know about them? This is all that we know about them. John chapter 3, you can find it in verses 5 to 8. For they have gone out for the sake of the name. That's all we know about these guys, and that is completely enough. What in your life would people look at and say, who cares about other people? I'm not worried about it. What in your life would God look at and say, this, this, this is for me? John chapter 15, verse 5, if you start to think, I can't do these things, I can't do more, I can't do better, you're missing the point. If you're in Christ, what you are doing is all for him. That's John chapter 15, verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches, Jesus is speaking. I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing Last, all that we say, think, feel, and do is an opportunity to thank God. Giving thanks to God is not not a separate event. It's not a day on the calendar. it's, It's not a part of what we do. It's all that we do. All that we do is to be thanking God. All we say, think, feel, and do is for Him in thanksgiving to the Father through Christ. If you're in Christ, you have every reason to be thankful, don't you? That's... The message of Colossians 3, 15 to 17, you'll see uh, the idea of thankfulness pop up in each verse. So the idea is spirit-filled, secure, word-saturated people are unable to be unthankful. Because of what God has done in us, thankfulness to God comes out of us. It just happens. A huge marker for us as we seek to live for him is thanksgiving, being thankful thankful so how can we wrap up a life lived like this that matters maybe an illustration will help what's it look like to have all of your life matter you may have heard of him but eric liddell some people call him an olympic athlete that was also a christian i don't think he would take that title i think he would just be someone who followed christ with his whole life seeking to make it matter for eternity You could probably roll back the tape in your mind and come up with the scene that I could describe, like some young guys running on a beach with an 80s soundtrack, heavy synthesizer. Remember the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a great movie, but Eric Liddell was way more than a conscious-driven Christian who chose not to run his strongest race in the Olympics on Sunday and happened to break a world record and win a gold medal on Wednesday, July 10th, 1924. He was way more than that. He was born in China to missionaries in 1902, and he found himself in 1925 with his college education completed, a gold and a bronze medal in his pocket And he abandoned the hero worship that was offered to him by the British Empire. And he returned to China to preach the gospel. In 1941, with the world at war, China was no different. Eric and his brother, a doctor, they would find anyone wounded. They would help them, nurse them back to health, preach the gospel to them and let them go. The problem was Eric and his brother were doing this for both sides. They were helping the loyalists and the separatists, the rebels, and the government. So they became de facto enemies of everyone. They were put in an internment camp where disease and sickness spread faster than medicine could work. The doom of humanity descended on the prison camp. But Eric and his brother were known by all in the camp as those who loved Christ, and they preached Christ. No matter where they were, what they were doing, they preached him. Eric became a teacher to the children in the camp. He taught them everything from chemistry to rugby to Jesus. Parents began to learn as well. Eric became known to thousands in this prison camp as Uncle Eric. Eric. Several years later, in 1945, he became gravely ill. The diagnosis was a brain tumor, and there he was in a prison camp with no access to help, no options. He knew he would die. So there he would see people on his deathbed. He would care for them as best he could, and he would preach Christ to any who would listen until his final words were spoken, and they were spoken about the Christian life. What is the Christian life? According to Eric Liddell, the Christian life is this. Three words. It's complete surrender. Liddell said, and then he passed into eternal joy a few hours later. It's complete surrender. How would you describe a life of complete surrender? Here's an option. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.